Hello and welcome everybody to Court Games, the Legend of the Five Rings LCG podcast. I am Trevor Cuba, aka Kikita Onimaru, and I'm joined here with a special occasional guest host. Uh, sorry, I want to introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Czar. You guys know me as that guy that judges stuff. I do. Uh, how has your week been? You you were in here right now because Seabass is busy, or not Seabass, um... Uh, who's my partner? Finbar. <laughs> That's who I do this thing with every other week. Wow. <laughs> but he's busy on business this week and didn't quite get the time to record. So, yes. Do you, do you actually know where he is right now? Uh, I think he's still at home right now. I know he's about to be uh, in Washington where you just were at. I know he was he's exactly one week late to the uh, Nova Grand Championship. The irony of fate. You think he'd be able to get like his work to extend and like, hey, can you just send me to Washington a week early and pay for my lodging so I could play into a children's card game tournament? Oh, Lord. Okay, so uh, you got some really exciting stuff going on. Like you just launched this thing on this website that I barely know called what is it? Bootstarter? Bootstrapper? Kickstarter! <laughs> the lovely folks over at Kickstarter have given me a platform to try to launch Rokugan, my Legend of the Five Rings uh, fan convention. Uh, yep, Kickstarter just went live yesterday. It was, slightly del- it was scheduled for the 1st of September. Slightly delayed on my part uh, due to some last-minute buttons I was trying to seal up. But it's gone now and, yep, hit the ground running. We've already gotten about 20 backers and we've got 30 days to reach our goal of $10,000. This event is going to be probably a little bit more than that, probably closer to like 15, 20, but like Kickstarter is only the first leg of the fundraising that I'm going to need for it. Uh, what I was able to announce when I finally put this Kickstarter out is some of the things I've been keeping in secret. So first off, uh, one of the reasons I always say like, hey, I can run a convention is because I have a long history of conventions, but I've been kind of dodging saying which one. Uh, it's Yomacon, one of the largest anime conventions in North America and the largest one in Michigan. Great friends over there in the tabletop gaming room, and they're bringing their tabletop gaming room to Rokugan, uh, where they have a massive library of games to come and check out. Um, they have paint and take stations. They're going to have some little mini tournaments of their own. They have some giveaway raffles and stuff. It's a great event, and they uh, all know how to run a game room by itself. So already, uh, I've got a very experienced staff coming through there. Uh, but the crown jewel of the event is going to be the large LCG tournament, which I've got somebody, uh, along with some of his friends, might be coming out to uh, judge that. Do you have anything to say about that? Yes, yes, yes. That is the plan. Me and uh, basically the crew from Gen Con is heading up there to uh, getting ready to judge this uh, the tournament. Uh, we've got my I've got partners with uh, Luxury Playstyle and the Province League Gaming. They're going to be as of right now providing uh, price support for the LCG tournament. If you guys have been to their websites or see seen some of their stuff at various tournaments, you know they make great materials and we're going to get some of that stuff and uh, be having it as prizes and as registration events. Uh, the tournament, by the way, is going to be completely free of cost. So there's definitely no tournament or no conventions locking out tournaments. If you are a a badge holder for the convention, you're able to register for the tournament free of cost. And I've also got a special badge for those who just want to enter the tournament and don't are interested in going to the rest of the convention. I've got you covered there. Uh, Last but certainly not least, uh, one of my last announcements that the one I was uh, putting the final buttons on before the launch of the Kickstarter campaign is Heroes of Rokugan, long time uh, fans uh, who have run a amazing, extensive, um, uh, organized playstyle RPG model and LARP event, uh, they are coming out uh, to run some events uh, at RokuCon itself. There's many people who play L5R who are only card game players only. There's some people who are RPG players only. Some people only read the fictions and some people interact with it in other ways. And here at RokuCon, one of my goals is to kind of bring these communities all together and getting them interacting together in some interesting ways. So yeah, uh, exactly what I was saying earlier, Heroes of Rokugan, they are the ones who uh, they have been for, I believe, decades now, and were just recently at Gen Con and still go. Uh, they 
run a series of fan run modules for the RPG side of things. They run a lot of the ARP, uh, LARP events. Uh, they have been in the past in charge of some of the more official events, I believe, for back when AEG held the event. Okay. Uh, so these guys know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a very long time. If you head over to uh, their website at uh, Uh you can check out some of the activities they've been doing. I believe they are coming near the end of their long-running fourth edition campaign module um and i believe they're gonna be starting but new one new but that's where they're at right now um yes speaking of players of going for events the next kotai we have lined up is and the final one yep it is uh we have the kotai in Bologna or bologna uh, over there in italy uh, it is on the September 21st to 23rd, and that one is in high interest right now because um, three clans, the Scorpion is well in the lead, but Crane and Phoenix are right behind them in the race for uh, glory points, and whoever has the most points is going to be awarded uh, Kunshu, the Imperial Sword, uh, at the end of the event. Uh, so as a judge, you could have a little bit of insight about how these glory points are working. How does how does this whole system work? Okay, so um, if you're a Hanamoto, uh, you, you contribute. If you have a winning record, basically, you will contribute to, uh, to both the favor and glory points. And if you are the winner, then you contribute that much. Uh, you contribute five glory points to the uh, to your clan. There's other stuff, but it's just way too involved. Not going to get into it. But Bologna is the last Kotai. Uh, also, ooh, another important thing is, and it's more—it's really more personal than uh, than collective. Uh, but uh, you know, the top-ranking Hadamoto gets a gets their trip and lodging to Worlds paid for. Right now, there seems to—I think there's a bit of a tie right now between a couple of clans. I'm not exactly sure which ones. So, uh, there will be tiebreakers. That uh, basically the t- uh, the highest placing person uh, at a grand kotai or o- your overall record at a grand at a kotai or grand kotai. Uh, Matt Holland has detailed everything out in his post on the page, but yeah. So right now, Bologna is re- literally everyone's last chance, whether it's the clans or the people who are just really close on getting their world trip paid for. So that's going on at the end of the month. Uh, like we're just saying, all com- the community is looking out at that one. Then about a week or two after that, in uh, France and Madrid, on the same weekend, for some reason, don't ask me why, uh, we have two grand championships going on. On October 4th through the 6th and October 5th through the 6th, in both France and Madrid, respectively, we're going to have some new grand championships. We just got done with two grand championships over here. A U.S. side we're going to talk about in a little bit. So looking forward towards that those ones. I'm still not sure why those two are so close to each other because, like, like literally, like, the dates are the same, and for those who are bad at geography like me, France and Madrid, Spain, are literally, like, the equivalent of a, two U.S. states. They're, like, right next to each other. So the presumption is one's kind of eating the lunch of the other, and, like, what c- could be, like, two really big events are going to be have, like, two partial events is kind of the speculation. It's possible, but, I mean, the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the Madrid one has been in the works for several months now. It was a fan-run event. It was the Amethyst Championship. Then AEG decided that, yep, AEG, oh my God, FFG. Then FFG said, uh, go ahead, have a grand championship there. And so this is the grand championship, And but I don't know what uh, the France seal is. Well, for clarification, this is all controlled by Asmodee, and I believe it's Asmodee Europe controls this mm-hmm. leg of the tournament, which is separate from Asmodee North America, that controls all the U.S. events, and also Asmodee Canada, which controls the Canadian events, which is somehow not Asmodee North America. No, no, no. Oh, um, in the U.S., it's uh, FFG. Directly, FFGOP directly handled. After that, we have Worlds. It's going to be on November 5th, and it's going to be a week-long event. Uh, I know Finbar is going to come out for that one, not for his job, but to actually sit around and play cards, and we're, me and him are going to scrub out in the qualifying leagues and try to like entertain ourselves for the next Wait, several days. Neither of you have your Worlds invite yet? No, because we're terrible. We, we were too busy hosting a LCG-focused podcast to actually learn how to get better at this game, so we can't actually secure wins for ourselves. Really? <laughs> yep. 
I'm terrible. So look at my Toronto score. Because statistically, there are actually more world's invites this year than there was last year. Well, we were actually talking about that. Uh, me and Finbar had been talking about that previously offline. The speculation is widely considered that the play-in event for qualifications on like the first or second day of the Worlds is going to have something like an 80% admittance rate. So if you do good enough in there, you have a good shot of making it into the Worlds actual tournament. And But the question does arise, like, let's say I'm the person who comes, like, if I'm Finbar and I decide that, you know... Dueling Dragon with just a car's approach is going to be my ticket to victory, and I get to scrub out hard, right? What am I supposed to do for the next five days? FFG has promised there's going to be a number of card game events going on, some RPG events, and just general activities to be done at their admittedly very lovely center out there in Rosemont, Minnesota. But uh, it is to be seen how this is is going to be a go. Well, we know that there's going to be a lot of side events. There may be, you know, more Enlightenment pods. Which, uh, which is always popular for some people. And then on uh, Sunday, there's the 2020 World's Qualifier. Mm-hmm. Yep, so at the very end of the day, so presuming that your travel dates don't have you going back uh, super early, yeah, for those who scrub out, you could sit around and try to pre-qualify for Worlds next year. Yeah, I mean, it, get it out of the way, right? Yeah. Uh, And then finally, for events that are coming up, we have the Grand Championship in Brazil, which we had discussed last time was, uh, I believe, is going to be the first FFG major event that's going to happen down there in South America. That's going to be happening on November 29th to December 1st. Uh, So big excitement. There's a very passionate community out there. I'm glad to see those guys getting a a major event like this. Yeah, um, it's going to be real good to see something south of the equator. Is Well, is the event going to be south of the equator? Uh, believe get- no. It's not going to be the first event south of the equator because uh, Sydney and Melbourne was the first event south of the equator. To move on to what recent events have been happening, uh, I want to give an apology to Tyler Parrott. One of our listeners had reached out to us and said I had cast some unfair aspirations onto him, and I kind of did, and this is very unintentional. Fair, like we're a very positive focused podcast. We try to we want to dwell on the positive and promote good things around here and stuff. But that, not to say that we can't recognize the negative aspects that was going on. There was a lot of like things that that need to be rightly criticized about what was going on at Gen Con and around Gen Con. Of which, independently of all this, I want to say that the organized play team has done a great job of really pushing L five R and making the community known that it is loved and it is seen and it is uh, like there are things going on since Gen Con. They've done a really good job. I think they've uh, they've even said it about like they heard the, the the response that they have at Gen Con and they made a notable effort to redouble their efforts to let us know that, uh, you know, because, you know, we're 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 we're, we're, we're kind of needy. We need uh, we need a lot of attention before we know that uh, <laughs> we need to know that daddy still loves us. Yeah, you guys need more love than a uh, than. Uh, uh, a litter of premature baby kittens. Uh, but anyway, specifically for Tyler Parrott, I've interviewed Tyler. I've talked to him at a couple of events. I've talked to him online a bit and stuff. I've spoken with him a few times. And he seems a great fellow. And he has never given me any indication that he has nothing but love and respect and a general passion for Legend of the Five Rings, his community, or real designs to leave or anything like that, which is like I accidentally implied was happening. And all I really meant to say, well, he has a background of loving Lord of the Rings and Fantasy Flight uh, Star Wars games. Uh, he plays Magic regularly. And L5R is something that uh, he's told me himself that he did not have access to until it became kind of his job to when he was a um, he was an intern uh, at Fantasy Flight and he was put on the story team underneath uh, as an intern underneath Katrina Ostrander. Uh, and I believe he's going to talk more about that in the the, the podcast, The uh, the Sixth Ring. They have an interview where they're going to talk about his role in the story team and the RPG side of the things in the not too distant future. And if I made any imply that he like has anything but like love or like attention for this game i like i deeply apologize it was never my intent i'm just pointing out like where he had where his background was and how he came to be part of this community so sorry tyler and sorry for anyone who thought i was being unfair to him 
Did it was not my intention. Some of my other criticisms I was giving of Azure Day slash FFG, I stand by. Uh, just because I was I was just saying that um we're very positive focused. I don't think it's fair to the community to pretend like there weren't some issues going on. But like I'm here, I'm like I I am loving the turnaround that Fantasy Flight, uh, the organized play team specifically. Matt Holland and Alex Watkins, they've done a great job. They, as I've mentioned before, they're in a process of redeveloping Fantasy Flight's organized play structure. And there are some things that are just like still coming together, um, but they have been very active in the community. They have taken a lot of time to listen to the concerns of the community and turn things around. So I'm very happy with that. But, you know, it's still some of the things I would say last week, still stand by it. To the degree, but it did not mean to say that like, oh, Tyler's like begrudgingly being forced to work on this game that he secretly loathes or anything like that. Nothing of that could, could be further from the truth. Good for you for owning up. Yeah, I my, my mistakes in life are legion. <laughs> and I try as best I can to own up to them. Other than that, we've had some tournaments happen recently. We're a little bit behind only because this podcast itself is about a week behind. Let's first talk about Krakow. So apparently Greece absolutely dominated the basically all events there. So I'm um, guess so from what I understand that I guess this event is kind of like almost like the Gen Con of Europe. Greece absolutely mopped the floor with pretty much every other country. It's kind of incredible to uh, because we just kind of don't see it. We we, I, we we really didn't see it coming. Crane and Phoenix were the two most uh, played clans. Uh, twenty five for Crane, twenty three for Phoenix. Not really all that surprising. Scorpion was a twenty. Unicorn nineteen. Again, not surprising there. Uh, day two um, was a little bit surprising because we had 24 cranes and 22 lions. We have 21 scorpions and 18 phoenix. Pretty even field across that. Mm-hmm. We got uh, everyone else was uh, in the tens, except, yeah, everyone else was in the tens. Oh, I can't remember who ended up winning. I think it was... It was Crab. It was an individual name. Constantinos... Paltogolio. Okay, I screwed that up. But Crab won. <laughs> yeah, Crab won. Yeah, Crab Crab won. This is kind of interesting because this is the, this was the first event that happened immediately after Gen Con in which the new Phoenix Charge Bird deck uh, was still out in the open. And Phoenix did not make it very – like it made it to the top four, and I believe – but Phoenix wasn't even using that They all got eliminated. Yeah. They got all the Phoenix got eliminated in the first elimination. Okay, what's Charge Bird? Uh, so Lion got up to fourth place. Yep, Lion made it top four. So we see Unicorn getting up to uh, into the top eight. Yeah, I'm seeing the two Phoenixes only got into the top 32. 32? Okay. But yeah, interesting uh, turnout considering like the community was very concerned about the effect of Charge Bird uh, in that deck. This is also on the heels of Crab losing a lot of their tools from uh, the recent restricted list, but you see a crab taking it all the way to the end. Still see Scorpion having a ever-present, very dominant effect. I see Crane, that one I remember, uh, Lucas, he got there with a dragon dueling deck where he was pumping a lot of duels through the Miramoto's Daisho and dishonoring people. And he still got into the top eight with that one. So that was pretty impressive. I don't know how anyone has an easy time playing Scorpion against Crane Dueling. I still can't win against Crane Dueling. Really? So, really, I can't. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just duel. Maybe I just suck at dueling. But uh, I can't. I I have not won against Crane Dueling. And you're playing Scorpion? And I'm playing Scorpion. Should be relatively simple. I mean, step one is either uh, drop a Fate, Worse, and Death on the Scary Duelist, or step two is use your um, calling in favors to steal his Miramoto's Dai Show. Now, see, I guess that's my problem. I just didn't draw those cards. Oh, one of the things, that, the last thing I want to talk about Krakow real quick before we move on to one of the other events is this is the first one where, well, Gen Con was the first event where the new floor rules were truly implemented. But uh, Krakow is the one where we saw the muscle of the <laughs> floor rules uh, coming into play. Uh, make sure you, that your deck lists are accurate, people. Do you recall what was going on there? I know it's been yeah. a couple of weeks ago. We're going to talk about this more when you get to Nova. 
But they did they did do deck lists, and a lot of people got game losses because of deck list errors. Mm. Now, we also enforced this at uh, after the game started, after the tournament started at um, at Gen Con two. We've had no, I think we've had like four or five people that got game losses because uh, because of deck list error. One of them was literally on the first round. Yeah. So. Uh, but they also had, when they did deck checks before the cut, they also got game losses if the deck list was incorrect. And that's, I guess, that's where the interpretation happens. For this particular event, the folks over at Imperial Advisor, who I'm using their data on their website to kind of remember what's going on at Krakow, they're also the individuals who were judging the event. So if you head over to the Imperial Advisors, a very good podcast, uh, they can go into more details about um, how they came to their decision, like what uh, their policy of like uh, making sure the deck checks were random and not really getting into too much uh, trouble until we had the day one cuts or the people who would make it to the end of the event. I believe one of the people, I believe it was Pablo the Crab Hatamoto, managed to make the cut day one, and then they discovered that he had a uh, a deckless error. And it wasn't even the, the rumor is that he, they gave him the option of like taking the the next day at a loss or going through n- number two. No, they've clarified like he had to forfeit his day one results and go through the uh, the grinder again on day two to requalify. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. If there was a two day event, mm-hmm. make sure your deck lists are uh, are mm. are neat and tidy, guys, because it will happen, especially at Worlds. We, uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be random deck checks at Worlds. Yeah. And there will be deck checks, like, immediately after after we decide who goes to day two. Mm. And it's good to see that, like, this is what we're having. I'm glad, the, like, the the floor rules being enforced or doesn't have anything to do with anything shady, like people being, like, uh, bad sportsman players or, you know, so weird back alley deals going on and stuff. It's just like very simple mistakes. It's just like, hey, make sure everyone's P's and Q's are order. You know, the deck list exists for a reason. So let's make sure that's uh, tried and true. Moving on, <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk very quickly about Toronto just because I was there and my response is Toronto's a lovely city. I don't remember this tournament at all and I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't remember this tournament because, like, I was I'm preparing for this Rokukan. I have I have not picked up a deck since Gen Con when I went to this event, and I have not picked up a deck since leaving Toronto. And of course, I go I end up with a two three record because it's like I wasn't even paying attention. Mm, but were you top two crane? <laughs> no, not even close. And that part of that is because of this 30 player game, eight players were crane and nine players were Phoenix. Uh, and this is something that like crane and scorpion players have a lot to deal with. Like if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm not a great, amazing player, but I'm probably good enough to make Hatamoto at a decently sized event. I honestly am. The problem with my, my situation is I'm a crane player. And Crane are a very popular faction. You have the same issue going on with Scorpion, where being a pretty good player in some factions is not good enough. If I was a Dragon player, I could probably make Hatamoto several events over and stuff. Because, uh, like th- this event, we have one Dragon player. This Dragon player goes a bit as the top represented Dragon because he had... <laughs> I'm looking at the, the Imperial Advisor statistics. Dragon has 100% qualification rate because there's one Dragon. And he did good yep. enough. <laughs> I mean, there was two... Hey, I mean, come on. There was two Lions and none of them qualified. Yeah. Well, it's still an aggressive tournament. There was a lot of Phoenix there, and um, I can say from my matches, uh, I won against one, lost against one, and the one I lost, I can honestly say, had more to do with a very critical... You know that play area you make at round three, and you know it's going to catch up to you on round five? (laughs) I had one of those happen to me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, uh, I think people have kind of figured out at least a way to mitigate a little bit of what they can for the Phoenix Charge Bird deck. And I don't even think Phoenix Charge Bird was the one that won this one. I believe it was. Yeah, but it was uh, Secret of Void, a kind of a traditional. Yeah, Secret of Void. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a standard Phoenix deck. It's the non-charged bird. It's uh, what I call the pure Phoenix deck, mm-hmm. the jankless <laughs> Phoenix deck. Mm. Yeah, so it's I call it the pure Phoenix deck, and uh, yeah, so it's I don't know. I like Seeker Avoid better than Charge Bird, only because I think Charge Bird. It's just I wouldn't say that I I, I dislike Charge Bird because it's what everyone's playing right now. But I will say that I kind of dislike Charge Bird because it's just kind of too much, if that if that makes sense. Well, I will say, like, uh, technically speaking, we're going to get this a little bit later. Like, no one's playing Charge Bird deck right now because that deck has fallen out of rotation. The cards that are required for that one are no longer le- legal for Phoenix to be playing. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit uh, yep. later from now. Uh, let's see uh nova nova you were at nova you were hosting yes. nova you reached out to this very podcast very long ago to get us to help start promoting this nova so this is your this is your baby star please tell me how nova went for yeah. you yeah so we had 41 people okay. total um we had more than that registered but only 41 people showed up mm. um so we were at 41 people we were able to do six rounds of swiss and then we had a top cut to eight mm-hmm I thought we had a pretty even field at Nova. Crane was at eight. Dragon, Phoenix, Scorpion, Unicorn was at six. Crab was at five. And Lion was at four. Yeah, that's a pretty even field. That is a very even field. I think that's the most even we've had so far. So um, let's see here. Uh, The cut was... uh, uh, There was both Cranes, uh, both Phoenix. Two two Cranes, two Phoenix. uh, One Unicorn... Oh, by the way, if that u- unicorn was, um, if this was a Kotai, we would have had our first female Hatamoto. Really? Yes. That's very bizarre. I, I love it when I see it. There's, we have very few uh, female players in the game right now, and I love to see them at the table, and especially love to see them do well. Yeah, uh, she did lose in the, she did get knocked out in the top eight, in the top eight. Um, but she played incredibly well. Um, it was pretty much down to the wire. Um, funny thing though, it had that happened at the top eight. Oh, magnets. Freaking magnets. How do they work? I don't know. Magic. <laughs> Miracles. <laughs> anyway, uh, anything else to talk about the Nova? I know you had a kind of a lengthy uh, Facebook post about the, the Nova Open. Well, the, okay. So... The Nova Open, I thought, was it, it was on a Thursday, Friday, so that was one thing. Um, the other thing that kind of happened is, all I'm going to say is, again, guys, check your decks thoroughly. Like, check your decks thoroughly. Because the last thing I need, the last thing, the last thing the judges want is to disqualify anybody from a tournament, right? But, um, and I almost have to do that here, because... Somebody was missing a deck. Fortunately, though, there was a vendor mart at the bottom, and they were able to run down and run up and replace the card before I finished deck check. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, otherwise, it would have been a DQ. And it's not like I want to DQ anybody, but if I have to, I have to. And this would be a good time to remind people that I believe uh, Bushi Builder, for those of you who build your decks online and use the Bushi Builder program, I believe it has a function where you can just, like, print off a deck list, right? Yeah. You can print off a deck list. And, oh, God, please, 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 please print off the deck list. Like, uh, I love you all, but some of you all write, like, chicken scratch. And this is talking to, like, somebody who has chicken claw for hands. <laughs> like a, a true phoenix. My hands are chicken claws. My paper's on fire. <laughs> deck lists are hard. <laughs> Seriously, just please print it out. One, it'll save you time at the event. You could just relax and not, you know, not have to scramble and get your deck list done. And yeah, so please, 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 please just print off the deck list. Save my eyes, please. Other news, so we were just talking about that recently uh, while we are talking about the tournaments, about the Phoenix Charge Bird. Phoenix Charge Bird, we no longer have to worry about because the roles have changed. Yes, uh, Earth became Sky, apparently. The Earth became Sky all over the place. Let's see, for for a quick uh, cap, let's see. We have Crab is now Keeper of Air. Crane is now Keeper of Air. 
Uh, Dragon is now Seeker of Air. Lion is Seeker of Earth. Phoenix is Seeker of Earth. Scorpion is Keeper of Earth. Unicorn, Keeper of Earth. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Uh, Crane makes sense. Keeper of Air gives them access. Their Dishonor game is, uh, is, is really good now. Uh, really terrifying. Watch out for backhanded compliments, guys, uh, when you're playing Crane, Crane now, because it will happen, and they can, and just because the card is not, you know, crimson doesn't mean they can't get you down to three honor fast. That may be a deck I have been playing around with. <laughs> and also lethal. Yeah. Like, some people are going heavy, like, you could, you could take Mark of Shame and Duel to the Death and just make a 1-2 death combo. It's very expensive, but it works. And you can play Tessa's Skill now again, can't you? So you could actually really just drop your card draw faster. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Keeper of Air, I believe. Uh, and I've been wrong about cra Crab all night, but uh, I believe Crab are leaning towards a new uh, Crab Splash Scorpion build. I was just talking crap about a Crab Splash Scorpion no, build. It's, and stuff, uh, but, uh, yeah, Crab and Crane, you're going to be facing the same thing. And Crab has this card, I don't know if you heard it, called Watch Commander. Mm -hmm, totally mm -hmm. fair, totally balanced, should not be on a restricted list at all. Yes, I'm Clark. I'm being, I'm being sarcastic. I believe, uh, yeah, Watch Commander plus Backhanded Compliment plus a couple of, uh, I guess, uh, some of favorite Mark of Shame. Oh, yeah, Mark of Shame stuff. So, yep, they're going kind of hard on the uh, Dishonor style there. Uh, Dragon, I'll be honest, I wish Finbar was on here because we were talking about this earlier. Dragon has Seeker of Air because they have some cute ideas uh, with some Crane Splash, but they still need, they're going to need their actual pack before they see any kind of like real true resurrection so the the gossip with dragon mm -hmm. is that they already pumped too much vote into seeker of air because they wanted a keeper and seeker role mm -hmm. and they pumped too much vote into seeker of air before seeker of earth yeah before uh earth becomes sky was previewed mm -hmm. otherwise they would have gone heavy into earth becomes sky like everyone else Probably, probably. And it, it, honestly, it makes sense for them. Seeker of Air, I think it's a decent pick for them. It's the best economy in the game, so there you go. Well, no, actually, economy for money, I guess, yeah. Gaining a dollar when you flip uh, Manicured Gardens and then getting another dollar for Manicured Gardens is always... That That was part of Crane's early success. I mean, never took it to any winning any events, but uh, uh, having the extra money... <laughs> money makes problems go away. Let's see, Lion, they, now they have both Seeker of Air and Seeker of Earth. They have gone double Seeker, so they lose all Keeper options, but they, ha they have access to both Four Barrows Echoes and Earth Becomes Sky now. So, two of the, well... Uh, in different decks. Yeah. In different decks. Yeah, it's a good thing it's not the same deck, but uh, they do have access to both. And you know what? Uh, if anyone could use a big shot in the arm, it's probably Lion. Well, uh, Lion... Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix. They get the Seeker of Earth. Earth. I mean, I think I, I, I have no idea how they came to this decision because I think um, uh, they had been looking at Earth Becomes Sky early on. And yeah, they said that they missed out the air vote by only two votes in this article that Tyler wrote. Um, but I guess like the sure money was Earth Becomes Sky is such an obviously potent card. I don't think the full uh, effect or the fear of Forbearance Echoes was really known at the time when this came out or maybe it was and maybe they just didn't have enough time to correct oh, course it, it, or it was no um here's the thing seeker of earth is inherently better than seeker of air for phoenix the charge bird deck loses so much in in keeper in a in um in a seeker of in a seeker of air okay in a seeker of air deck seeker of air because you do lose the three influence let's remember that first of all you do lose influence and going Seeker over Keeper. And I've just had like several months of double Seeker Cray, and I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. A second, you do lose Keepers, and Keepers are arguably a really good, decent part of this strategy, right? They're not Shugenjas, but they're free bodies, they're free blockers, they're free attackers. Sure. Um, next is you lose the, the another card that you lose, uh, that you lose going Seeker is Strength in Numbers. Strength in Numbers is a Keeper only card, and Strength in Numbers is arguably what kind of is one of the things that make the deck work mm -hmm. if you are barely breaking and they're defending well you know what strength in numbers them out because you probably have more people than their glory right now and and you have to stronghold strength in numbers people out 
Uh, and yeah, just pushing people out. Who knew that pushing people out of conflict is really good? And did we say like, yeah, yeah we mentioned that a unicorn picked up Keeper of Earth. So they are also on theoretically on the um, on the Earth Becomes Sky. But uh, I think they are not. They're not. But let's go to Scorpion first. Let's okay. do this in alphabetical order. Scorpion, Keeper of Earth. <laughs> um, I'd say it's decent for them. I wouldn't say it's great. Mm-hmm. Upholding authority becomes worse, but they're not going to run upholding authority anymore because they just got a card called. Well, we'll talk about this in the next segment uh, called Effective Deception. Mm-hmm. And that card is busted. What is that one? Do I have any, uh, don't even recall it right now. Oh, interrupt. I think it's an interrupt. Uh, I believe it's an interrupt. Uh, but basically, interrupt, cancel and, uh, cancel a trigger effect. Okay, let's see. Effective Deception. For province strength, interrupt. When the effects of a triggered ability would initiate during a conflict at this province, cancel those effects. Yep. Little, uh, yep. Little mini Casada right there. Yeah, and unlike Casada, it's not just the first action. It's any of the action. Once per round, obviously. Okay, so, but cancel the, uh, the what? The, uh, oh, God, why can't I think of card names right now? The uh, Way of the Lion, cancel a Bonsai, cancel a Forebearer's Echoes, cancel an Earth Becomes Sky, cancel something. You pick. Yeah. And unlike Casada, it's not a forced inter- uh, interaction. So you can't, like, Casada, you can trick. You can just throw something at him and turn it off and then start doing the effects that you really want to do. This one, mm-hmm. you can just pocket the interrupt um, for something that you really do want to cancel. Yeah, like a know? duel. Yeah. Or make a, um, probably to do, I think, because. You know, one of the things that Phoenix always, or Scorpion always try to do is they want to get their Fate Worse of Death off. But it's scary because if the opponent has a Council, they have Voice of Honor or uh, Censure, well, then that becomes like a high-risk play. So you only end up using that when um, it's uh, when it's safe. This one just ensures that it's always going to be safe because you're just going to cancel. Unless the opponent has two Cancels, um, you can guarantee to <laughs> save uh, your spell. Yeah, yeah. This cancels a cancels. So I, I I really think this province is is good. It's um, you know, is I'm pro is going. To, I think it's going to see play. I think it's going to be all over the place. Yeah. And the next couple, of, you know, when this pack, ah, uh, this pack is legal now, right? Yes. At the same time yeah, so. that um uh the role change happened, uh pack three, which uh justice for Satsume, which had been announced uh, a while ago, uh finally became legal. I, to say, I believe on the 1st of September. I don't know. By the time you listen to it, it's definitely legal now. And we're going to talk about the Justice for Sasume in a little bit anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, no, but I think this uh, this province is just good. But uh, I think I think Scorpion went Earth because it does give the Kyuden Bayushi deck a couple of options. Um, Discourage Pursuit is one. Uh, and I think we're going to see Scorpion rotate between three roles. Keeper of Air, Keeper of Earth, and Seeker of Air. I mean, I think a lot. You're going to see a lot of clans cycle through the same uh, several roles over and over again. Which again, so I'm not meaning to get too into the lock the roles, free the roles discussion stuff. But that's one of the criticisms about the cycle. It's like we clearly have um, there's a power imbalance that some of the clans are just or some of the roles are just inherently more valuable than the others. You know, vo- last time we had a major uh, a major role shift, everybody went void because the void provinces were just far beyond the most stable, devastating uh role selection you could choose from. And now with uh, specifically with uh, Bonds of Blood, Pack 2 from the Inheritance Cycle seems to have really uh, and you know uh, they said that uh, when they were announcing this thing, that Pack 2 was going to have all of the roll-lot cards. Well, we've got some real bangers for Air and Earth that came out of that cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing for anything else. You know, Water is still a pretty useless role. Has anyone chosen Water? When was the last time someone's chosen Water? Anything. Uh, unicorns got Keeper of Water. One, because Fight On, and I think two, they were some people were trying out uh, Press of Battle. Right. No, it's like uh, most, I mean, the Keeper of Earth deck, I mean, Unicorn got Keeper of Earth. And one reason for that, a lot of people are saying that uh, they got Earth because for Earth becomes Sky. But I honestly think that we knew what cards were coming out. Uh, Earth becomes Sky is not going to be the card for Unicorn Yeah. That, um, that, that they're getting Earth for. It's a card called Unfulfilled Duty. Yep. 
that basically stands up six costs worth of characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, unfulfilled duty, uh, two cost event, uh, earth roll only action. Choose any number of characters with no fate. They have total printed cost of six or lower. Ready each of these characters. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think we even seen something yeah. where um, talking about deck flexibility, we were going over some cards and I believe there's a deck coming out of like Shiro Shinjo using Mido, which I don't keep saying Mido is a crab card because crab uses a lot. It's not. It's a neutral card. Anyone can use it. And uh, we've been seeing some people pulling a lot of things out of the graveyard with Mido, having it defend a province and then straightened with unfulfilled duty and going on a massive counterattack, which is very yeah. frightening. It can be frightening. The other thing is they don't even need that. They have this card called uh, Shinjo Gunzo. It's two cost, one, one, uh, one glory. And a reaction after you play this character from your province, after you play this character, really, um, uh, search the top five of your dynasty card uh, deck and for a two cost and put that card into play. So, and there's, uh, you also have Wayfinder's Camp, which lets you play two characters so for four fate, and possibly passing fate, so really three fate, so for three fate, you can have eight fate worth of character out there. Mm -hmm. And two of them may be able to ready themselves. That's very scary. It is very scary. Yeah. So yeah, uh, generally speaking, all the clans have something to do. Um, a lot of it revolves around either air or earth cards, but uh, everyone's got some new options going on with some new threats. And we do have... You know, I could say that, like, I could tell my line friends that, hey, you know, you've got some options. You get uh, Earth Becomes Sky. Rest assured, if you, if that's not uh, squeezing your fears right now, Lion Pack is right around the corner. And so that's going to bring a lot more fight to the table there. Yeah, I mean, the Lion, the Lion Pack is there's so many cards in Lion Pack. Even the rest of the Inheritance Cycle, there's cards in there that's going to give Lion some option. I don't think Lion is going to stay garbage tier for long, but um, I do feel like, you know, you they've definitely have to limit themselves. Crane lost uh, Secret of Fire, which we were not using because uh, uh, Eric had chosen it right when uh, we thought we were going to have um, access to uh, what Feast is... Feast or Famine and Magistrate Station. Yeah, Feast or Famine and Magistrate Station would have been a really good one. And then you put Guest of Honor on the list. And then we, then we're not even, a lot of decks aren't even running Guest of Honor right now. So, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> I was kind of like wondering, what, why? Speaking of the Inherited Cycle, real quick, because this podcast is going a bit oh, uh, long, but. Uh, as we just mentioned, Justice for Satsume, pack three of the Inheritance Cycle, has just uh, gone live as legal for tournament play. Um, I don't want to go through all of them, but what are some standout cards that you see from this pack? We've already talked about Effective Deception, the Scorpion Earth Province. Uh, anything that you're really intrigued about right now? Yeah, there's going to be two cards, uh, both of them Scorpion. Okay. Um, because, oh, actually, those are three cards. One is Phoenix, two of them Scorpion. Uh, the Scorpion card, Shoshiro Ibuki, which is the disguised courtier uh, reaction after this conflict after this character wins a conflict, remove one fate from each other participating character, which... That's know, pretty scary. It's scary, but I think she's very telegraphed. Um, she's probably going into my deck only because I just want to replace uh, what's um, Ignoble Enforcer, because, yeah, she's a uh, similar stat line, and I get to and I get to buy her for cheaper. And have a standing somebody conflict because disguise is good. Who knew? She yeah she's she's telegraphed. Uh, she's primarily military focused, which Scorpion really doesn't have a lot of military tools. So she kind of shows up, takes everybody's fate, which is devastating in itself. But uh, then you're just kind of locked into this military battle that unless you have a lucky bonza, you're probably not going to win. <laughs> right, and uh, again, I mean, she's still like you said, she's telegraphed. Uh, I guess uh, another yeah. her her showing up is her scary part. <laughs> yeah, her showing up is just. I mean, oh, it is there. I mean, there is some like you know tech that you can do with her. Like if you have a bowed, if you have a uh, what's the word? What's her name? Um, fawning diplomat and fawning diplomat's bowed. You play. You disguise her on top of fawning diplomat. Guess what? Guess who has favor now? You do. So I mean, she could steal. You could steal favor that way, and there's nothing your opponent can do about it. 
Right. Um, I guess the next card is uh, Acolyte of Koyane. Three cost action during a political conflict. Choose a participating character and select one. That character either gains or loses pride. She doesn't even have to be in the conflict. Although she, at uh, at her glory, you may she may be the target, um, or one of your opponent is the target if they're losing. So you know she's a good card. On demand pride is good. Who knew? Um, I already spoken about Shinjo Gunzo. That card you're going to see that everywhere. And yeah, uh, and guess oh also because she's a one one. Guess who's unicorn is going to be sacking. Um, and the last one is probably, probably the best card in this pack, uh, Shoshura Miyako. And she's unique in that it's a, she, it has to be a disguised non-Scorpion character. This character can only be, and she can only be played by the disguise keyword, so you can't play her out of her, out of your hand. And her ability is, uh, when she comes into play, disguise an opponent, uh, choose a non-unique character an opponent controls and dishonor that character. Non-unique may be a little bit iffy, but I don't see that as too much of a problem. Fortunately, our Scorpions still have uh, double Keeper rules. So no matter which one they choose, they will have the uh, Keeper initiates <laughs> around to uh, cast her as, as they need to. But uh, she's kind of designed to be uh, played uh, in other clans. I know some Scorpion uh, or Musicrane player, I'm looking at Scorpion's Blast, and she is definitely a healthy consideration. Crane have a slight issue in that uh the crane deck as it is right now has a lot of uniques <laughs> and you can't uh uh disguise a unique character no but you guys also still running um oh god why can't i remember brass samurai right mm -hmm. oh we, uh, it's not a hundred percent uniques <laughs> that's not the case but yeah uh, you guys got still got brash you still got callow you still got whisper uh, she, she's challenger She's going to show up when you least expect it. And since she's a conflict uh, a hand character, uh, she's going to show up when you least expect her. <laughs> she's not telegraphing yeah. herself like Ibuki is. Exactly. So, I mean, I do feel like um, conflict character, conflict disguise characters are just inherently stronger because of the surprise factor. But, nah, you know, disguise is still a very good keyword. So, um, what? how about you? Um, are you, like, uh, excited about your new champions? I mean, that's a silly question. Yes, uh, uh, as a as a hardcore crane player, I've got two new champions, and both of them are lovely. Unfortunately, they don't seem to like each other right now. We were just talking earlier. If you want to figure out what the this uh, the conflict between uh, Doji Hotaru and her brother Doji Kawanin is, you should check out some of the recent fictions that happened uh, recently. Uh, mm -hmm. That being said, as cards individually, like they cannot be in this. Uh, well, they can be in the same deck to together, but if one's in play, the other one cannot be in play. So you have to make some decisions uh, about you don't want your deck to clog itself up, uh, and um, it's kind of representative of the internal crane civil war conflict that's brewing right now. But individually, if you have one of them, like they're both so good, like playing them both is not completely out of the question. It's probably still the wrong answer, but it's enough to make you look at it. Uh, Doji Kwanin is a five-coster, five-military, four-political, three-glory, bushi champion. Uh, with an action, during a military conflict in which this character is participating, choose a participating character with lower military skill and then bow that character. So this is a more fair Lion's Pride brawler. Uh, probably what Lion's Pride brawler always should have been, but, you know, Lion's so... <laughs> in the hole right now. We're not going to take their good toys away from them. Uh, but like as Crane is surprisingly very military focused right now with our heavy emphasis on duels, um, it's very easy to trigger his ability. And whereas before I was kind of doing a song and dance of giving people swords and then setting up some duels and finding a Kikita Dojo and stuff, he's just like, no, I'm just going to kick you in the balls and make you fall over. You know, very simplistic. Uh, Doji Hotaru... Uh, one, she's, uh, picked up the courtier, uh, keyword, finally. Um, she's a five cost, three military, six political, three glory. Same exact stat line she had before. Bushi courtier champion. Reaction, after an opponent plays a card during a conflict, uh, when this character is participating, gain one honor. Unlimited. So she's the inverse, um, uh, watch commander on a crab. 
I I believe that she might be central to a hypothetical crane on a running deck because if you can, especially if you splash unicorn, get her on a horse, and you can just like put her into every single conflict that you can, uh, you can start gaining honor very rapidly. Um, outside of that, um, being a bushy courtier is very useful for things like uh, just the car's approach that is also injustice for Satsume. To just be a beat stick at herself, and in, with the prevalence of dishonor decks running around, you have your scorpions, you have your crabs. Like maybe even if she's not trying to honor out, like just her being around is enough to like keep life on the table. So like unless you get a cloud on her or shut her down some other way, you're probably not going to dishonor a crane player with Hataro around anytime soon. Yeah, unless you know the crane player, unless she gets um, swimming lessons. From <laughs> I mean. There's players. There's play around. There's options. There's things to do. But uh, she is definitely a threat of herself. As five costers, the obvious question is how do they stack up against Uji and Yoshi? Uh, they're not quite there now. With the inclusion of a popular crane called uh, Asahina Takamori, who can just lock down decks or characters based on like the cost of crane characters you buy, it's useful having one or if not both of them around as like a one or two off just to trigger that card a lot. But they're not quite at the level of like, I'm not going to like take Uji out to play either of these guys. Yeah. I, I don't see them see going into many crane decks. They're nice. Their art looks pretty. Yes. Hotaru got the courtier keyword, but Yoshi and Uji is just still too good. I will say, like, so the standard, quote-unquote standard crane um, dynasty build for five costers is you have three copies of Uji, two copies of Yoshi, some people just go three, and then you have, like, one extra five-cost slot that, depending on your play style, could be a couple different things. Like, I play Classic Otaru because I have a Dishonor focus of my deck that I'm trying to do, and she plays really well into that one. A lot of people, especially with Takamori, are playing uh, Tenku Sensei to emphasize the lockdown aspect. Kwanin and or Hotaru, depending on your deck and your playstyle, could easily be that flex 1x 5-coster slot in anyone's given deck. And I would be surprised to see either or both of them in any given crane deck coming forward. Yeah, um, I also, I, I'm not sure why you guys aren't really playing Bird Sensei all that much. Well, as I was just talking earlier about, like, the ways that crane have enough options that you can have some truly unique and different paths that are totally viable of building the deck, there's a number of very strong crane players who would absolutely have uh, Bird Sensei they're finding a combination of him and Takamori are doing a lot to severely lock down people's decks. Um, and he's out there right now. Hmm. Okay. I just like, uh, I guess just my local though. I haven't really seen uh, Bird Sensei much uh, out there. Yep. It, it, um, as I was saying, like, uh, well, I'm just going to repeat myself. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. But yeah, see different people's decks. Uh, uh, you know, Jeremy Campshire up at uh, Gen Con, he was rocking Steward of Laws, his primary card, as his uh, restricted yeah. card. I don't think he had either of these things. Uh, Eric Lung, who I went to um, Toronto with, he was rocking the um, Guest of Honor. And I don't believe he had. Actually, I think he had Tengu Sensei in that deck. Eh, that's that's interesting. I guess I mean it's like I, that's just like one thing about I love about this game. It's like you know, it's like there's the meta, and then there's your personal take on the meta. I feel like I should talk about at least some of the other clan. Like you've talked about Scorpion and Phoenix. I've talked about Crane, like I always do. I, I like I feel like on paper I should talk about the other clans, but I'm not really seeing too much that's truly exciting me about these other clans. Well, there's one card that was kind of exciting like, a lot of people, but I played with it recently, and I'm not that excited about it anymore. Where's and that? I really don't know why people were excited about it to begin with. Uh, Just a Car's Approach. Just a Car's Approach is, uh, is an interesting one because of its potential, and only I think only Crane and Dragon are really looking at forward to it. Uh, because if you have the... Let's say, let's say we're in Dragon right now, and you have the, sta the quote-unquote standard Miramoto's Daisho Dishonor deck. This is just a repeatable duel that you can just keep feeding to the Miramoto's Daisho and just keep 
generating honor loss. You could do the similar things in Crane, and just of itself, like it's a duel to bow and then dishonor and then potentially kill, which inherently on paper is really good. And the only thing that's really holding it back right now is it can only be attached to a courtier character. It's a little bit, in that it's a little bit better out of Dragon because their courtiers have decent military. Even I was just talking about how Crane is very military focused right now, and we potentially have a lot of courtiers. Yeah. Our, most of our courtiers, generally speaking, still don't have very good military stats. Yeah, but you guys got uh, Out of Seeker or Void. You guys can have a new name. We absolutely can. And that's like they previewed new name and Justice Car's approach at the same exact time to tie like highlight that synergy. And that is a combination that absolutely work. And I think you have to be completely insane to try to actually make that work because you are one let go away from losing two cards. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that's not um I mean, I'm sure someone's going to do it. And they're going to be in a situation like, oh, I don't like this. This is super risky, but I'm going to do it right now. Playing out of Crane, or I guess anyone out of, uh, or Dragon out of uh, Secret Void. Do they have? I don't, I don't think they have Void right now. But anyway, it's something that, like, uh, the board state's going to dictate you try sooner or later. But I right. think it's uh, yeah. that's a path to disaster. I mean, it's going to be devastating while it's on there. Like, you better have some, uh, <laughs> if you're up against, like, for instance, a lot of the uh, Phoenix decks recently have not had any kind of attachment control. Uh, Crab generally don't have a lot of attachment control. You can slap these two cards together and just do a whole lot of damage. But for consistency's sake, I think it's a it's a high risk maneuver. Cotton trying to <laughs> play play both those at the same. All right. So out of Lion, I guess the only card that gets uh, that uh, that is of note is there is Matsu Swift Spear. Two costs. While you have fewer cards in hand than uh, than an opponent, this character gets plus two military. Um, we're seeing Lion going into their uh, fewer cards in hand shtick. Uh, the Lion cards we've actually seen before. These things were previewed before, like, the entire Inheritance cycle got spoiled online. These were cards that were previewed uh, properly. And the speculation is, like, well... Perhaps we're going to see some more synergy coming with a lion pack for these things. Other, like, it makes sense on paper because lion tends to be kind of card hungry and they just want to throw cards away. And also, if if they like lean towards a more honor running build that causes you to bid lower, thus having fewer cards. So this kind of offsets it, but neither of these are between Matsu Swiss Sphere and Steward of the Rich Frog. And for people who don't remember, Steward of the Rich Frog is, well, you have fewer cards in your hand uh, than an opponent. Characters you control cannot receive dishonor status tokens. That's kind of okay. They're useful, but none of them are really like offsetting the ability uh, or the, the, the disadvantage inherent of having fewer cards in your hand than your opponent. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too thrilled about either one of them. But uh, let me tell you a card that is busted out of crab. Yeah, three cost. Force interrupt. When the conflict phase ends, each player must sacrifice a dishonored character. This is Warden of the Damned. That is yep. Warden of the Damned. That card is freaking busted. Yeah, and this actually like highlights why uh, crab might have went so hard towards the um, uh air roll when they went to their um, roll uh, choices so they could like splash scorpion and play this one because this is just a yeah <laughs> splash, I mean splash scorpion Miyako hell Miyako uh, Miyako splash scorpion, uh, Miyako Mark of Shame yeah. it, it, you're gonna see crab dishonor going into like turbo mode yeah crab dishonor into crab kill <laughs> yeah crab but, uh, kill dishonor yeah, definitely have some. Uh, definitely have some options there. Anything else really thing? I do kind of like. This is also a card that was highlighted before. We have sharpen the mine, a lion clan attachment, uh, zero cost, and dur- uh, action during a conflict. Discard a card from your hand. Attached character gets plus three mental, military and plus three political until the end of the conflict. This feeds into the lion's nascent. I have less cards than you, so I am winning. Ha ha strategy which as we yeah we just looked at Matsu Switch Spear and Steward the Rich Frog not that exciting over there here I'm a little bit more interested just because political is a hard number to raise and plus three pol- a poll is a lot it's also like 
a jank factory, kind of like how um, uh, Favorite Nieces and Scorpion, where you just have some of these really janky builds and be like, well, this strategy did not work. I guess I'm just to throw all these cards into Sharpen the Mind and just get raw stats out of it because my combo never worked. I will defend. Okay, Scorpion. Here's the thing with Scorpion. Okay. 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 Way to Scorpion is a dead card in the mirror. Okay. All right. Way to Scorpion is a dead card in the mirror. Uh, calling in favors is a dead card is a dead card in some matchups, including like Phoenix sometimes. Um, so, uh, favorite niece is there for you to get rid of the dead cards that you have and, uh, and get actually hopefully useful cards. And now that's, then that's to say like, you know, way to scorpion is absolutely great in every other matchup except the mirror. Uh, calling in favors is great when you're playing attachment heavy decks but uh, otherwise, they're dead, right? This card is like you're you're you possibly could be ditching good cards for a, a force bump. This mm -hmm. is that's the only difference between favorite niece and this card. This cards you and doesn't replace your hand. Sure, it plays into your the the less uh, the less card in hand thing, but um, you just discard an assassination, and I plop down. I don't know. I play a two cost. A goblin sneak, and now I'm winning again. Oh, What's your I, answer? Because I see a lot of lions that will have um, a like a ridiculous number of military bump cards. Whereas, like, hey, I've got all my bonsai, and I've got legion one, and I've got way of the lion. And at a certain point, you just reach this critical mass of I've got too much military bump, and I can't do anything else. And I think having this card around is like, hey, I'm going to turn, you know three of my 472 military buffs into a slight political pull bump because I desperately need that. I think that's fair. I think it's useful. By all means, go ahead and do that, and I'll <laughs> go ahead and force shame you and bow you. I mean, that's what usually happens, but, um, you know, it gives us some options. It's options, but yeah. <laughs> I like, it's not, it's not game-ending and stuff, but I think it gives them some much-needed flex space that they haven't really had access to before. Yeah, this is I, yeah. I, I guess it's it's it's. I mean, it's not Earth becomes sky, you know. It's not Earth becomes sky, and it's not a hail. It's not. I don't even call it a hail mary play. It's just a do something card, I guess. I do think plus three political is kind of scary though. <laughs> I think that's going to catch some people off guard. You know. Here's the thing. Okay, Unicorn's got a card that gives them a bigger political boost, but they don't even play it. Unicorn has some issues. <laughs> Anyway, so that's kind of our rough feelings on Justice for Satsume. Anything else that you want to mention before I kind of wrap this thing up? No, um, I guess the last shout out I have is like, thank you to everyone uh, that went to the Nova Open. Uh, you know, it was great seeing everyone there. I know some people flew, came. Uh, it was like I, a lot of people came from all over the place. I know we had one person came all the way from Seattle. So really great. Uh, thank you for everyone that was there. Uh, congratulations to everyone. And um, it's now been officially established that I am magic. And if you want to know the story, talk to me in private, um, because I don't think I can discuss that here. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Really, I have nothing else. Okay. I want to give, as usual, a big shout out to our sister podcast, the Court Games RPG Podcast, hosted by Kovar and Kikita Kaori. Uh, they, I believe, what they say, we've had a lot of story fictions coming out, and I, every time they record a, a podcast, uh, a new uh, story fiction has come out. I think we've gotten one every week for the last three weeks. So they and all these things that we're talking at the top of this podcast have very big story ramifications. So if you want to get a deep dive on oh, what's yeah. happening lore-wise, check out uh, our sister podcast there. I want to sh give a shout-out to our Patreon. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Your efforts go to fund this podcast, the aforementioned Sister RPG podcast, uh, and Seabass's efforts on the Discord, and well as the website that he is putting together. And as of the cusp of putting the final buttons on. So I think that thing's going to go live fairly soon. Be sure to check us out on, um, uh, to hit like and subscribe. We're going to smash that five-star rating on iTunes, Google Play, wherever your podcast is available. Give us a review. Give us a shout out. And hey, hit us up on the, our Discord chat room 
where me and Finbar are always in there, and Kiari and um, Kovar, uh, talk about whatever stuff. If you want to say how negative and stupid I am, uh, just tell me to my face. I'm right there. <laughs> You want to like learn more about uh, <laughs> RokuCon and all the things I'm trying to do there? You know, I'm available online. I'm not too hard to find. And, you know, SAR exists. All right. <laughs> Go on Facebook if you want to find yeah, SAR. No. He's always there talking about something. I'm, 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 okay. I'm all over the place. Thank you. Yeah. I'm usually plugging stuff if I'm all over the place. But, uh, yeah. Also, just so, you know, I mean, like the other podcasts are going to get a little break here for a little bit because. This last fiction that was just released was the last fiction of the Inheritance okay. Cycle. Yeah. So, you know, not a necessarily tidy bow that we got, but at least my heart rate can descend back to normal level. What did now. you and the Garbage of the Five Rings come up with today? Hashtag Hot Chico. Hot Chico, yeah. <laughs> the portmanteau. Hashtag Hot For Chico. those who wish to ship Hotaru and Kachiko, apparently it is now hashtag Hot Chico. <laughs> Hot chick co. <laughs> so, anyway, that's been our show. Have a good one, everybody. All right. Y'all have a good one. I'll see you around. Sayonara, people. Bye.